Oh my god, Phillies baseball is a little more than one week away. Jeez, god, why? Oh my god. I'm excited, you're excited. Why don't we spend the next half an hour talking about whether J.P. Crawford is going to have 550 plate appearances in 2017. That sounds like a lot of fun, right? 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 It's the Phillies Nation Podcast. Miniso number two. Yo, Phillies Nation. Welcome to the Phillies Nation Podcast, Miniso number two. My name is Tim Malcolm. I am the editorial director of philliesnation.com, and I'm your host of the Phillies Nation Podcast. Hey, we have a real podcast coming up, the first full Phillies Nation podcast, the first real full season one Phillies Nation podcast will be on March 27th, Monday. That'll be one week from opening day. Yeah, we're almost a week from opening day, by the way, guys. One week. Oh, my God. It's amazing, isn't it? Doesn't it feel great? Aren't you tingling? Aren't your sides tingling right now? They are for me, I'll tell you. And it's not just the frigid air from the blizzard a couple days ago. Uh, Yeah, Phillies baseball in about a week. And the Phillies are playing decently in spring training. I think the pitching needs to be a little bit better right now. The offense hit a little bit of a lull. Hopefully, they'll get back going here in the last couple, uh, about week and a half here. But some good performances, some bad performances. I think we're still waiting for some of the new guys to really get going. Howie Kendrick, Michael Saunders. Uh, But we've seen some good things from Aaron Altair, who has a couple home runs. He's hitting, I think, around 300 this spring. We've seen some good stuff from, I believe, Cesar Hernandez has been pretty decent. Uh, Freddie Galvis is starting to get himself going. He's actually hit pretty well this spring and making some great defensive plays. Michael Franco's average is a little bit low, but he's hit a couple home runs. He's doing his thing. Just hopefully that all translates into the regular season. Of course it won't because it never does. Michael Franco led uh, all hitters in home runs last year in spring training and what happened he only uh really had a tough year in 2017 he struggled mightily 16 excuse me i'm already looking ahead of this year that's why i'm getting my years wrong so what we're going to do today on the phillies nation podcast mini so number two is we're going to talk with dan walsh who's one of the writers at philliesnation.com does a great job for us he wanted to talk about projections he looked at the different projection models out there, Pakoda, Steamer, and Zips, and tried to go through some of the more interesting player projections that they have. Things like uh, J.P. Crawford. Zips says that he is going to have 550 plate appearances in 2017. They're a little bit high on a lot of things. Uh, Jorge Alfaro, 412 plate appearances. That's it's crazy to me. Uh, but we go through... Uh, Dan and I go through the over-unders for some of those projections. So we'll, you know, talk about Freddie Galvis and his uh, average of 11 home runs through the projection models. Are we over or under 11 home runs for Freddie Galvis in 2017? Uh, So we'll do that kind of stuff. That'll be fun. That'll come up in a few minutes. But first, just real quick, talking about the Phillies here as we get through the spring and we get finished here. And... Before we just do that, the the podcast itself, which we'll start in a couple days again on the 27th, Monday, we'll do this as per every week on the podcast. It'll come out every Monday, and I will intro it. Then I will kind of go over some Phillies news of the week, 
I'll bring in one of the writers of Phillies Nation to talk about what the Phillies did over the week or some interesting story. And then we'll go into the big interview of the podcast with somebody outside of the Phillies organization or in the Phillies organization, someone who has to do with the Phillies or is a fan of the Phillies to talk about what it's like to be a Phillies fan and what being a Phillies fan and being someone who's with the Phillies is all about, kind of looking at Phillies Nation in a different way. And then we'll bring in another writer or the same writer from Phillies Nation that we had earlier in the show to talk about something more interesting, uh, whether it's a story on the website or something that they want to talk about that's fun and experimental. We'll kind of go through it uh, one week to the next. We do want some fan input on the podcast. If you are a musician and have a song, title song, or bumper song that you want to give us for the podcast, we'd love to feature it on the podcast. Just email me at tim at philliesnation.com. And if you have any stories that you want to tell about the Phillies, if we're looking for some opening day people, we're looking for some people throughout the season who might have interesting stories about the Phillies, if you want to tell your story, please email me at tim at philliesnation.com. I might uh, want to talk to you for the podcast. So again, music, stories, please email me at tim at philliesnation.com. So that's how the podcast will work. Again, we'll start with the intro. I will do some news. We'll bring in a writer to talk about the Phillies. We'll do a big interview with somebody notable. And then we'll bring the writer back from earlier in the show to talk about a story on philliesnation.com or something else going on with the Phillies. And then we'll leave it at that. But this mini-sode is about projections. Before we get there, we'll talk really quick about the Phillies uh, in spring, as I mentioned, like five minutes ago or two minutes ago or whatever it was now. Um... So the Phillies are playing okay this spring. They're kind of what we figured. The pitching is a little slow to get going. I think I'm still a little worried about Aaron Nola and his injury ills. Um, he says he's completely healthy, which is great, but he's serving up still a lot of hits. He is striking out guys a little bit more than he was last year when he really broke down late in the year. So hopefully that's a sign of some good things for Aaron Nola. I don't want to come to any big conclusions on him until really like May or June because it's way too early to do any of that now. And in spring, you're really trying to work yourself out. And I'm sure he's at a place where he's still trying to figure out, okay, do I have this? Am I am I pitching well? Am I doing the right stuff? Am I going through my motions the right way? Am I comfortable? I think once we get past that part and we get into April and May, I think we'll hopefully start to see what we want to see out of Aaron Nola. I'm a little more concerned about Vince Velasquez. I wrote about him about two weeks ago on the website, and it's about his control issues. He is walking a lot of guys, and he had a start a couple of starts ago where he walked, I believe, five hitters. I don't have the info in front of me, so it's it was like five, four or five hitters, and he only lasted three and change innings, and I think his last outing he even lasted three and change innings. He's not going deep into spring starts, and again, that's just his regular bugaboo. He's not going deep into games. He needs to pitch more to contact. It's just something that I used to have a problem with Cliff Lee because Cliff Lee would never Cliff or Cliff Lee would would pitch so. It's the opposite of the of the problem with Cliff Lee. Cliff Lee always pitched to contact. That's it. Cliff Lee always pitched in the zone and was so good at the strike zone that guys would sometimes just hit a ball off him and it would go 400 feet. I have the opposite problem with Vince Velasquez where he's not pitching in the zone and he needs to pitch to more contact. I think if he pitches to more contact, guys will weakly ground the ball against him or pop the ball up. He has great stuff. Why not throw into the plate more? As it stands, he's throwing more walks. He's, he's 
putting guys on base and he's working through very, very deep counts. And he's going three innings, four innings in spring starts on March 20th and 17th and such. So that has to change. And he had talked about the umpires in his, not his last start, but the start before that. He talked about how he thought the umpires didn't really like him. Maybe he had a problem with him because they're not giving him calls. This guy is in his second season in the majors. I mean, really his third, but second full season coming up. And he's already talking about the umpires being a problem for him. That's not good. This is a young kid who clearly he's very energetic. He's amped up. He wants to do well. He wants to be the guy, right? He's a spotlight kind of pitcher. Like Kurt Schilling in the past, like, um, you know, like Pedro Martinez or, you know, some of the greatest pitchers of the last 25 years. Those guys want the ball in the big spots and they want to tell you how they want the ball in the big spots. And I like that. I really like that. But it has to be brought in a little bit. It has to be sort of chained in. And Velasquez is not doing that. Instead, he's actually putting the umpires on blast. And that's not good. I think Velasquez really needs to not worry about the umpires. He needs to worry about himself. Pitch to contact. Pitch over the plate. If an umpire gives you a bad call, store it away for later. And when you're older and when you're more mature and you have more clout in the game, then you can maybe have some sway. But right now, he's he's in his second full season. There's nothing he can really do except hurt himself. So really, Velasquez needs to not talk about the umpires. And he needs to focus on pitching strikes. And he's got to stop trying to strike out 10 guys a game. I love it. I want to see him strike out 10 guys a game. But if if players are fouling the ball off him every two pitches, throw him something down in the zone that he's going to ground weekly to Freddie Galvis. Honestly, it'll be a lot easier for everybody. And you can go deeper into games. And maybe by the sixth and seventh innings, you'll strike out more guys because guys won't be able to catch up to you by the sixth and seventh inning. Hopefully he's a little smarter later on. And I know he's a smart guy. He's a good guy. He's, he's a good pitcher. But he's got to be a little bit more reined in when it comes to his pitches, when it comes to talking about umpires especially. Other than that, you know, the Phillies are just kind of working through the motions here. The starting lineup is set. Looks like Hernandez, Kendrick, Herrera, Franco hitting fourth, Saunders fifth. And then I think from there, Joseph is hitting sixth. And then you got Rupp and Galvis. I think that's the best possible lineup. Honestly, it breaks up the lefties and righters, righties. Uh, Galvis is hitting down in the lineup, which I think is a really good idea. And it maximizes the potential of Hernandez and Herrera and Franco, who are really the focal points of the offense until some of the young guys come in. And Joseph to a certain extent. But Joseph, I think, doesn't need to be exposed at the top of the lineup yet. And the starting rotation is set, too. Jeremy Hellickson is your opening day starter. Then it'll be Jared Eikhoff, who's going to get the second start in Cincinnati. And then Clay Buckholz will get the third start. Velasquez will get the home opener against Washington. And then Aaron Nola will pitch the second game in that series against Washington. All makes sense. I think it all works. Hellickson, I, I mean, honestly, I, I think Jared Eikhoff probably deserves the opening day starter start. He's been... An extreme professional and extremely consistent and a really, you know, he's been a good pitcher and he's really showed it off. And here in the spring, he's been fantastic. He had a shutout his last time out. I think he went five innings or so, five or six. He's really pitching well, striking out a lot of guys, really pitching well. I think he would have deserved the opening day start, but I'm not 
you know, if Helixson gets it and McCannon wants to give him the start, that's fine. It's not a big deal. It's just a label. Eikhoff's going to get the same amount of starts as he would have anyways. But he does deserve to be at the top of that rotation. But that's it. As far as what else we got at philliesnation.com, you know, we have some good stuff this week. We're sort of on a valley right now because we're getting ready for the opening opening day and the opening week. But we have some great stuff, including the roster breakdown. We went through the depth chart of both the hitters and the pitchers this week. Take a look because we try to lay, we try to sort of tear everybody off from who's in the majors, who's the prospect, and then who's you know the next in line and that kind of stuff. And we try to give you a sense for what the Phillies will probably be doing this year, next year, or the year after that with some of these guys. I give you some of my thoughts about the depth chart. I think the Phillies are in a decent shape right now for what they are. They're not going to be an 85-win team, probably. They're going to be more of like a 75-win team. But I think that's the right move. They don't really have the ability to become an 85-90-win team until some of these prospects really show themselves. And that hopefully happens this year. If it doesn't happen, then the Phillies will have to make some real big decisions. But I think this is the year where we'll see one, two, three players really emerge. And that's when the Phillies have a better understanding of where they're going to be and what they need to fill in in 2018, 19, and 20. We also have on the site the end of the 50 greatest Phillies games of the last 50 years. It was a really fun series that we did, and we're in the top five uh, now. And, man, some great stuff. I, we got a lot of heat on Facebook for putting some losing games on there, including Game 6 of the 93 World Series, Game 4 of the 93 World Series, that 15-14 to 14 classic, and the Black Friday game in 1977. The idea of it was the greatest games. I just want to put it out there. The idea of the series was the greatest games in Phillies history. Not the greatest moments, not the best Phillies games, not like the games that the Phillies played the best in or, or the best memories in Phillies history. These are the greatest games. It's indisputable that Game 6 of the 93 World Series is an incredible game. It was a great, incredible game. So was Game 4 of that series. So was Black Friday. They were incredible games. They deserve placement on the list. It just so happens that they were one after another, and so people thought we were kind of trolling people. I trust you that the rest of the list does not have any losses on it. Those three are the only losses on the entire list, but they were very, very great games, and that's what put us on the list. They were great, and they were great to write about. Uh, We had a bunch of people on the website talk about the 93 Game 6 and Joe Carter's home run and how that affected us watching the game. That was a really fun piece. And uh, we had a really fun piece on Black Friday that Michael Sadowski wrote that was really good. Also on the site right now, we have Corey Sharp, who wrote about Aaron Nola and what he needs to do to kind of assuage our fears for 2017. And really, it's about trusting, not the process, but trusting the promise. Uh, Nola promising us that he's okay. We should be able to trust it right now because he has not steered us wrong before to this point. So with that, we're going to... Turn it over to the big interview for the show. Uh, from here on out, it's going to be me and Dan Walsh. And we're going to talk about some of the projections for 2017 with the Phillies roster. And now on the Phillies Nation podcast, let's go to the next segment, which we're going to look at some projections for 2017. Um, of course, there are a lot of models out there that try to project how baseball players will perform in the next year. They look at historical data and other things, and they try to come up with numbers that we then pour over mindlessly and see if they may get it right or not get it right. And then we track the progress over the season and see what happens from there. But 
Of course, it's all projection. We don't know what's going to happen, but we could debate it early in the season and really, you know, get into it and have some fun with it. So we're going to do some over-unders, and I'm going to bring in Dan Walsh, who is one of the contributing writers of DillysNation.com. He wanted to look at this, and uh, he's going to explain a little bit. So, Dan, welcome to the podcast. And should, we, should I say Dan or Daniel? How do you want to, do you want to go by? You know, either one is fine. It depends how you're feeling today. If you feel okay. professional, we could go with Daniel. If you feel more casual, more laid back, Dan is fine. Uh, it's really up to you. Then let's keep it Dan. Let's keep it uh, cash. And uh, even though cash right. is you know, terrible. Spring, it's yeah. spring training. It's a good time to be casual. Um, Absolutely. No, but you're right. So we're all pouring, we're all pouring over these projections still. And, you know, I, I kind of got tired of trying to find a way to have something new to say about the projections. There are people that are smarter than me already looking at them. Everyone's already writing about them. So I thought what we could do today is try to kind of gamify these projections a little bit. So what I've done is I've pulled projections from Dakota, from Steamer, and from Zips. Those are the three, I think, main ones, Mm -hmm. certainly the three that I look at the most, and chosen one statistic for each player. I tried to get every player in there. There are a few that we might not get to. Um, And then we can pick, you know, we'll average out the projection, and that's that, and you and I will pick an over or an under if we think we'll – uh, if we think that they'll do better than that or if we think that they'll do worse than that. Um, and it's just kind of a way to make it a little more fun than just looking at spreadsheets, which you and I have been doing, you know, all winter now. So it's time to kind of start doing something else instead. Yeah, and, and you know, we love to predict these kinds of things. And, and, by the way, predictions and projections are different things. We should let people know that. Predictions are basically kind of looking at the wall and saying, oh, I think Franco is going to hit 40 home runs next year whereas the projection is much more data-based and you're looking at, you know, things that have happened in the past and trying to use formalism, coming up with something that's a little bit more uh, concrete. Um, so these are projections. We're looking at, you know, numbers that have been put through models, numerical models, and trying to come up with, you know, what we think is the best sort of, in our mind, the projection for these guys. Or we're making predictions on projections. I don't know. Who knows? But nonetheless, we're, we're going to do that. But... um Let's get going here because we have a lot of players to look at here and certainly a lot of interesting stats that you wanted to kind of – and we're going to look at, you know, the stats for some of these players. You know, we're going to look at, like, one individual stat for some of these players, not the whole line. So these are more interesting stats. So why don't we start with the pitchers? Um, And you started, obviously, Aaron Nola, um, and you wanted to go with Starks. He made 20 last year. Uh, obviously, he had the elbow injury late in the year that ended his season. Talk about what the what the projections are for him in 2017. Right. So, Dakota has him at 26. They're the lowest on a number of starts. And the highest is Zips, which has him at 32. Uh, but between the three of them, it averages out to be about 29 starts that these projection models expect them to make. And that is assuming, you know, to hit 29 starts, you're really only missing like two or four starts throughout the season. So that's assuming a lot of health for him. It's assuming that they don't skip his his spot in the rotation, uh, that they don't shut him down early, you know, that he doesn't get hurt in the season. So I actually took the under – so I, I'm saying that I predict that he'll make less than 29 starts this season. Okay, so is there – do you have, like, a number in your head as far as how many he might make? Or are you just thinking that he's just not going to – he's going to be shut down or something like that? 
Yeah, I you know, I don't have an exact number in mind. It just seems to me that given his age, given uh, how he got shut down early last season, uh, you know, I'm still a little worried about his health. We won't really know for sure, you know, 100% that he's healthy until we get kind of into the season and he's stretched out a bit. But between, you know, all those different factors, I think that it would be reasonable for them to at least skip a few of his starts and, uh, you know, if not shut him down early at the end of the season. I think that's totally reasonable. I actually have him as over 29, and I think it's very possible that he makes every start this year. The reason being, I think the Phillies are finally going to say, you know, we're not going to put you on any shackles this year. We know you were hurt last year, but, you know, now he's going to be age 24. He's kind of at the place where he can, you know, make all the starts. He was a college draftee, so he kind of came out and immediately made starts upon his first half season of the majors. I just think this is the time when the Phillies are going to say, no, you can pitch, you know, your 200-plus innings this year if you get to that point. Um, but I think it's also very reasonable that he goes under that. I mean, if you know, considering the injury history, we all have to be walking on eggshells with him. But um, let's go to Vince Velasquez, who is really the interesting one here. Um, and you picked out a really good one, innings pitched, which obviously is the big question with Vince Velasquez. How many innings is he going to pitch this year? And uh, last year he only had 131. He had an injury there mid-year, and they also shut him down early. He didn't get deep in a lot of games. Um, but the projections here are a little bit some, – some, there's a bit of a range there, but for the most part people have an idea. Uh, but why don't you go through what the projection is and what you thought. Right. So last year he reached 131 innings, and the projection systems have him at as low as 137 and as high as 157. So they all agree that there will be some improvement. He'll see more innings. Um, but the the average then is 145, and we're looking at the average, and, and I think that he can top that. I, I think that he can throw more than 145 innings. Um, hopefully he'll be healthy enough to pitch the entire season. Uh, you know, he's he seasoned a, another year here, so maybe they won't have to shut him down early. Um, and really the, the best thing would be if he could, like you said, go deeper into games. And, let, you know, last season he averaged, I think, five and a half, uh, you know, innings per start, um, and it would be great to see him, you know, to be able to rely on him to go at least six innings, maybe seven innings. And if he does that throughout an entire season, I think that he'll have over 145 innings. Yeah, so so I, I, I think he can pitch over 145 innings, but I don't see it yet. I mean, he hasn't proven it yet. And I look at, you know, his numbers going way back to the beginning of his minor league career, I mean, he's he's 2013. He pitched 124 innings uh, over two levels uh, with Houston, um, and that was the most he's pitched in in his career in one season. Um, otherwise, he's been you know 80 some innings, 70 some innings, and then last year he pitched a total of 136 innings between his 131 in Philly and then five in Reading when he had a one spot start or one start before he came back on rehab. So I don't. I, I know he can pitch over 145. I know it's in him, and, and I God, I hope it happens. I hope he becomes the number one type ace. I mean, he could even be that guy still. Certainly, he's so young, and he's got great stuff and his strikeout material, but I don't see a history of it. So I, I just can't do it yet. Whereas with Aaron Nola, I think I'm more like, oh, this guy has you know developed to a place where he can definitely get to that point. Um, Velasquez, you know, the history just says, no, there's like he gets hurt. He, he 
does nibble too much and tries to strike guys out too much, which ramps up his pitch counts. I just worry about that. I, I don't know. I, I I applaud your optimism. I hope it works out. <laughs> yeah, I'm not often applauded for my optimism, so this is great. <laughs> this is great. Um, yeah, you know, I hope that, you know, it was reported that uh, Velasquez talked to A.J. Ellis last season, and Ellis told him to look at footage of Zach Granke pitching. I'm sure you saw this also. And yeah. to, you know, learn about attacking hitters and about being effective and about how to use your arsenal so that, you know, you can get guys to get themselves out. And hopefully he takes that to heart. Hopefully he really studied Granky as well as his own arsenal over the offseason and can work toward that efficiency that would let him go deeper into games. Um, you know, because I think that really the two of us really like Velasquez and would really like to see him perform at that level. Yeah, I'm pleased. I would love to see him turn into a top-flight pitcher that you can rely on in the playoff series. And then, you know, you're basically looking for one other, you know, ace-type pitcher in an offseason or something to get you to that next level. But let's hope. Um, let's move on, though. Let's go Let's go to the league pitchers. And I'll kind of group these guys into one uh, little list yeah. in here because you both have uh, saves as a stat to project here. And we're talking about Jenmark Gomez and Hector Neris who are obviously, you know, the incumbent closer and the guy who's most likely to take over as closer. Um, 2016, uh, Jamar Gomez had 37 saves. Hector Neris had two. Uh, the projections for them this year, Gomez with 27 and Neris with six. But, again, sort of a range for all these guys in the projection models, especially with Neris. It looks like Steamer's a little high on him. Yeah, and so the reason I use saves for both of these guys or, or want to talk about saves with both of these guys is because it essentially raises raises the larger question about the Phillies' bullpen, which is who's really going to be closing games out throughout the entire season. Mm-hmm. We know that McCannon has expressed his faith in Gomez because of his performance last year and because he got those 37 saves last year. But personally, I just don't think that Gomez is such a great pitcher overall. Right, and we no. saw that down the stretch at the end of last year. And a lot of people are looking at Neris as more of a closer level reliever, uh, more of a guy who you can count on late in the game, who has more upside, more potential, and is overall a better pitcher. So um, we, you and I both say less than 27 saves for Gomez, more than six for Neris. And um, so, you know, I'm assuming that you're looking at it the same way I am as – uh, Neris maybe taking over that closer role and perhaps earlier than uh, we might expect. So, well, well, let me let me ask you this question then. So, you, do you think that Hector Neris is going to end the season as the Phillies closer and have like at least a dozen or so saves in his in his pocket at that point? Yeah, I could absolutely see that. That wouldn't surprise me at all, especially as you know, in spring training, one of the things that we are hearing a lot of beat writers talk about is the idea that these younger players want to compete, you know, they want to win, they're realistic about their chances of making the playoffs, but they at least want to be part of a more positive product on the field. And if that is the atmosphere in the clubhouse towards the end of the season, it might encourage McCannon to be putting the best player in that role rather than just the guy who did it last year and who he feels he owes that kind of loyalty. And, um, you know, so my assumption is that he would agree that Neris is a superior player. And if he wants to, you know, win these games with these young players and encourage, you know, a competitive spirit, that Neris will probably be in that role full time, you know, by the end of the season. I, I almost want to believe that 
they trade Maris at the deadline. Just because he's already 20, he might even be 28 at this point. Uh, yeah, he'll be 20, he'll be 28 this season. But it, he's at a point where, not sort of Ken Giles, where, I mean, Giles was young and, you know, was putting up amazing numbers right up the bat, and Naris, it took him a little while in the majors to get himself going, but Naris seems like one of these guys that you can get maybe some sort of second or third tier prospect for at the deadline, if he's good enough. And I almost see Gomez kind of pitching his way out of the closer role early in the year, like May or June, and then Naris getting the ball from that point on, and then at the deadline, maybe the Phils move him. And then you find Edubre Ramos getting the closer role at the end of the year, or you know they just they they stumble on somebody else, or maybe Pat Neshek is still here or something like that. I, I don't want to say it's so cut and dry that Naris finishes the year as a closer, but I think we're both right in that there's certainly this healthy competition at closer that's going to happen this year, and these guys you know are trying to all get to the point where they're you know the guy in the ninth inning and. McCannon certainly wants to see, you know, all these guys thrive, but, but I don't know. You, do, you, do you think, I mean, are you more, do you think that Maris is the trade candidate here, or, or, do, you, or do you think, nah? I, I think he absolutely is a trade candidate, and I, I also think that allowing him to get saved is a way to accumulate his value even more. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, relief pitchers are probably the most likely to be traded, especially from a team in the situation that the Phillies are in, you know, we see relievers every season. It's like relievers and back-end starters are the ones who are moving most at the trade deadline. So uh, it would not surprise me at all to see Naris move, especially with some of the live arms that the Phillies have, um, in, you know, in, in their system still. Yeah, I mean, so many down there, Alberto Torado and Victor Arano and a couple others that are definitely making waves already in the upper levels. Let's go to position players. Um, definitely a lot to work with here. We'll try to get through with them quicker if we can. We'll see. But let's start with Tommy Joseph. Let's start with Tommy Joseph, who um, obviously came out like gangbusters last year, had 21 home runs. And we're looking at home runs as a projection stat. Uh, We disagreed here. So why don't you talk about the projections on him? Yeah. So the projections really, there's a wide range of projections for the number of home runs that Joseph will hit next year. Pakoda is the highest on him. They think he'll hit 31, and this is actually pretty low on him. They think he'll hit 16. And, you know, if the average was either 31 or 16, I think it would be easier for us to agree, right? But um, the average is 25, which is Mm. um, a little harder. But I did take the over partly because Tommy Joseph is a feel-good story. You know, I really want to root for him. I want, you know, so I want to be optimistic about it. It is spring. It's early to be optimistic in spring. Um, but also more statistically, the 21 home runs that he hit in 2016 only took him 347 plate appearances. So if you know if he has a full season of plate appearances this season, if he gets six you know 600 maybe even 500 plate appearances, I could see him um, you know going over 25. I'm not saying it's definite. I personally wouldn't put money on it, but uh, I I do think that it is a, a definite possibility. I think there's a reason to be optimistic about Joseph hitting a bunch of home runs this year. He definitely uh, improved his on-base percentage as the year went on. His contact got better. He was looking to pitches better. He wasn't just slugging for the fences, so that will engender more line drives, which will in turn engender more home run possibilities because his bat's just hitting that way. 
the thing that I think is the problem here is I, I think they might continue sort of a platoon in 2017. And I, I know it's like ridiculously early in spring, and I don't want to do this now, but Brock Stoss has been doing really well, and there's already murmurs about him potentially kind of making the team as a platoon back for Tommy Joseph, because he's a lefty. I don't know. I, I think there's something to be said about that. And, and if it's not him, Andrew Knapp is, you know, potentially going to make the team as a backup catcher slash backup first baseman. So I think there's going to be too many at-bats for other guys to get from the left side where Tommy might not get enough play appearances to actually, you know, do what he wants to do to get 25 home runs. He might hit, like, 20 home runs and, and have sort of a similar season to last year, but I don't know if, I don't, I don't know if Steve McCann is going to be as, 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 he wants to put him in every situation against uh, left-handed pitching, uh, right-handed pitching. I just don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, that's a good point, and, and it is possible that you won't get that full, uh, you know, that full kind of season's worth of at bats. I guess it's another area where we'll have to wait and see. He's not a guy like, you know, like Franco, where you, you know that he's going to play every single day, and you know that nobody's going to take playing time from Franco. Joseph, you're right; he's in a more precarious position, especially as a guy who kind of nobody was really paying attention to anymore until last season. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. I mean, it's it's amazing. I, I'm the his story is is one that we kind of forget. We gloss it over because he. For some reason, I don't know why. I don't know why we did, but 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 Joseph's story is, is pretty incredible for 2016. Um, Michael Franco, he's obviously a big talking point. His average 255 last year, and um, again the projection models seem to have him around the same area, um, and we're both over what the projection model is. Talk about yours. Yeah. So the the average projection is 266. I think that he'll hit above 266. I think last season was rock bottom for him, but he did end the season uh, with a good last month. And I just see him as a career, like, 270 or 280 hitter, honestly. And, and um, you know, I, I don't think that it's fair to expect him to be a, a superstar player or an MVP player every single year or something like that, which was initially kind of how people talked about him because we were just so excited to have a prospect as good as Franco. <laughs> yeah. But but. But certainly, I think that he has contact skills enough to uh, to hit 270 and, and to certainly be better than a 266 hitter. Yeah, definitely an up and down year for him. Um, September, October last year, 105 plate appearances. He had a 306 average, so he definitely picked it up at the end of the year. But before that, in August, he had a 224 average, which was his lowest of any month. So he's, he's just up and down. Um, I like like you said, I think he's more of a 270, 280 hitter. I, you know, when he came up in 2015, he was a 300 hitter for a good while. And you know, I was thinking, man, this guy's got a nice swing. It's crisp. He can get it up in the air a little bit, but it's not too up in the air. He just kind of lost track of that a little bit last year, and he popped the ball up a little too much and hit a couple bad grounders too much. But I think he's a better hitter than what he's shown, and he'll kind of correct himself back to that 270 range. Let's go to Oduble, because obviously Oduble's someone that we love talking about. And you have him, uh, so weighted runs created, uh, 110 last year, and the average is pretty low, 99 uh, compared to last year. I think people are expecting regression, but we're both over. Talk about Oduble. Yeah, well, assuming that his weighted runs created plus next season is 99, is assuming that he is almost exactly an average hitter. And I would not describe Oduble Herrera as an average hitter, either in his appearance or in his production, right? So... <laughs> 
essentially to take the over on that is to say he's better than average at creating runs at the plate. Yeah, I mean, he's he's better than average. He has shown to be better than average his entire career. Um, if he doesn't do it one way, it looks like he'll do it another way. I'm, what what really just astounds me about Odubel is how quickly he's picked up on everything he's picked up on and how he can sort of transition from being this uber-patient leadoff hitter type in the first part of last year to kind of getting some of the power back to, you know, kind of working his way back to being a decent hitter at the end of the year. Um, he did struggle in the second half, but he's still a good year. Like, this guy seems to be able to kind of do a bunch of different things. If he can put it all together at the same time, he is an all-star caliber player every season. But at the very least, I think this is someone who is going to streak enough to be an above-average hitter. So I think we're I think we're right on with, with that projection. Um, and then his on-base percentage, uh, 361 last year. Everybody's lower, much lower on that, and we're going over. 336 is the average. Uh, why are why are people so low on him? I just think that there's a reluctance to I don't I guess I'll say believe in Adubel Herrera, um, and part of it too is because he doesn't have the long track record, so the projection systems will kind of assume a regression, like we said earlier. Um, but even when you talk to people, rather than, you know, the, looking at the projections, there are a lot of people who still don't believe in Odubel Herrera either. I guess it's because he's so unorthodox, because he seems like kind of a goofball, right? Um, mm-hmm. But a 336 on base percentage that he's projected to have is lower than he's had either year in the majors, and I don't see why he would get worse as he gets older and more comfortable. Yeah, and he's also durable. Like, he's played... He's, he's accrued over 500 plate appearances, not just in his first two major league seasons, but every season since 2012. Well, he had 484 plate, no, he had 527 plate. Sorry, I was looking at that. He's had over 500 plate appearances every season since 2011. Um, he's just very good. He's, he's, he's durable. He, he plays every day. He learns all the time, and he's still only 25 years old this season. So I, I'm with you. I think. Uh, people need to kind of get wise on him. It's, it's, it's obvious that he's a better player than than people are expecting him to be. Um, I could see him. I could. Sorry, I could see no. Herrera being a player who ends up being streaky throughout his career because he has such an unusual stance. I could see his timing being thrown off. But overall, he's going to equal out to be a very good player. You know, um, over the course of the season, over the course of his career. Yeah, I mean, like I said, streaky Herrera is a good player. Like streaky Herrera is. Um, I don't know, every day, I, I can't think of a guy, but, but Sriki Herrera is, is a number two outfielder, a number three outfielder on an everyday squad for a good team. Finally, J.P. Crawford, who is the number one prospect and someone that we're all kind of waiting to see in 2017. We probably think he'll get up at some point, but it might be too late in the season because we're both very low, we're lower, lower on at least the, the one stat, the counting stat here. So, you're looking at plate appearances and on-base percentage. Plate appearances, he had none last year in the majors, obviously. Um, again, Zips loves to rate these prospects pretty high. Um, why do they have Crawford at 550 plate appearances? They So the implication there is clearly that Crawford would be the starting shortstop from the first game of the season because 550 plate appearances is pretty much a full season. Yeah, and, and and but they have but they have Freddie Gallo sitting 15, 14 home runs. So I mean I know the projections are not in you know they're in a the back they're not based on everybody else, but it's it's like 
it's weird. <laughs> it is weird. And it's funny to think about what the lineup would actually look like if Zips made it. You know what I mean? Like, the average age would be, like, 22 on a, on a team next year. Yeah, I mean, it, w- it would look like, well, you did a P- you did a whole series on out-of-the-park baseball and, and kind of seeing if all the prospects were playing on the Phillies, how they would do. It would look like that team that won what? Like, one game, was it? Or was that the Ryan? That <laughs> no, was the they, Ryan Howard team. Than that. They, yeah. That was the, that was the Nola team that won uh, one game. Oh, right, the Nola team won one. The prospects, I think, won in the low 60s or, or the the mid 50s or something like that. So it wasn't it wasn't too pretty either. But no. um, right. So so the the average plate appearances from all the projection systems for Crawford next year is 327. So that's about half of a season, right there. So we both took the under, uh, you know, meaning that we both see him playing less than half of a season's worth of games with the Phillies next year. Yeah, and I think it's quite obvious that he's not going to come up until probably, I mean, at least mid-season um, if there's a deal or something like that. Um, but but even then, you know, he's maybe going to get 200 plate appearances if that happens. And I don't even know if he's going to get that. Yeah, even 200 I might take the under on because he's the guy, we know he'll be a very good player. You know, you can almost guarantee it. So there's no reason to rush him just to prove that to somebody or something like that. Let him come up when he's ready, and then he'll get all the at-bats that he's not getting now. Yeah. So so with these projections, and we'll, we'll kind of finish it after this year, but but I just it's interesting that we were basically in agreement over most of these things. And I think it seems like, you know, that kind of says something about the Phillies' direction in 2017. I think we all kind of have an understanding of what they're doing, where they're going, what kind of players they have at the moment. Um, do you think that's fair, that I think we're, we're kind of – we're just all like in agreement, like oh yeah, the Phillies are what they are, and and we're just waiting for that wave to come and, and take us away on a new journey. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You know, we're we have it, it's kind of like these projection systems and how Picota especially, it gives you the likeliest outcome, and then it can also give you a range, right? And it tells you that this is the the best that this player might do according to our calculations. This is the worst they might do. And here's kind of in between, right? And they do that for each player. And I think that's kind of how we're approaching the Phillies right now, where we have a pretty good sense of that in between. And we still have our eyes on what might happen, the best thing that might happen. And we're still a little afraid of the worst that could happen, right? But overall, we have, you know, the picture is becoming more clear as we go on each year. Dan Walsh, thank you for joining me on the podcast. All right, thank you so much. We'll have to figure out some more games that we can play like this on the podcast in the future. I want to thank Dan Walsh for coming on and talking projections with me. Yes, the interview was done over the phone. We will do a lot of phone interviews on the podcast, so just know that going into it that we'll be doing more phone interviews as we go along. Hopefully the quality is going to hold up. I want to thank bensound.com for the music, themes, and bumpers. Come back March 27th, Monday, for the first full Phillies Nation podcast. We're going to have a really fun show lined up. And go to philliesnation.com for all your news, information, rumors, and more regarding the Philadelphia Phillies. The season is coming, guys. The season is coming. Thanks for listening to the Phillies Nation podcast. I'm Tim Malcolm. See you next time.